Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree. And joining us today, we have a very special guest. We're going to let her share all of the cool things that she does. But she is Susan Littman. So, Susan, thank you for joining us today. Share Share with us how 2021 has been for you and what you're looking forward to in the new year. Well, 20, thank you so much for having me, first of all. 2021, I guess you could say, was probably like 2020 um, with a few more walks outside and one movie. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of editing, a lot of editing great books, a lot of reading great books. Um, yeah. What am I looking forward to in the new year? That That's an interesting question, given where we are at the moment. Uh, <laughs> I, I really, I would really love to see things kind of, I'd love to see us sort of get over this next hurdle and kind of be able to slowly but surely safely return to life, you know, mm-hmm. as, yeah. as we knew it to the best of our abilities, because, you know, there are things that I miss doing that I would like to do more of. Yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. see another movie. <laughs> Some live music or, you know, <laughs> like, travel here and there. Those, those are the things that I miss. But mm-hmm. uh, Well, you, you know. mentioned editing. So share with our listeners what it is that you do. Mm-hmm. What it is that I do? Well, the big picture is, of course, edit books. But it's it's. I I know that um, people can sometimes think, well, what does that really mean? So you sit and read all day for a living, and technically, I guess yes, but that's not exactly what an editor does. I mean, we do a lot of things. We we do read manuscripts, and you know, we work. We collaborate with the author um, to help bring their vision to the page and hopefully have it meet their vision and the publisher's vision. And, you know, by the time it hits the shelf, um, we want everyone to be happy. Um, But we also work on the cover art, work with the author and with our team on the cover art to make sure that it reflects the story, to make sure that in the case of category romance, that it reflects the series, in this case, special edition, but if it's a desire, it should reflect the tone and feel of that series, same with romantic suspense and so on and so forth. You know, we work on back cover copy. We have a hand in pretty much every piece of the book as it goes from acquisition to the time it ends up on the shelf and in the reader's hands. So it's it's not just reading for a living, although reading and discovering new authors is also a part of our job. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's a really fun part of the job. Okay, I did not know that you all did all of that. (laughs) Thank you for that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't want to leave out just I, I really shouldn't leave out the collaboration with, you know, the creative team and our marketing teams as we work on art and copy as well, because that's, it's not like we do all this in a vacuum. There are other people within the company that we work with um, who have fantastic input. But when you're asking an editor, so what is it that you do all day? This this is what I do all day. (laughs) And yeah, there are days where there are no meetings and I do get to edit all day. And I love those days. (laughs) (laughs) Be like my dream days at work, you know? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So let's get into some icebreakers. If you came with a warning label, what would it say? Ooh, hmm. Okay, I have to think about that one for a second. 
Hmm. What would it say? Probably, probably like one of those Alice in Wonderland labels, like drink me or something like that. Because, <laughs> but in reverse, because once you give me a glass of wine, like there's no telling where things will go. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, what is one thing you find yourself nostalgic for? I really, one thing I find myself nostalgic for, this might be a weird thing, maybe, but... There's no weird answers here on the podcast. Really, I have always, always, always missed Sassy Magazine. Okay. I remember that one. I was a teenager because it, it hit the shelves when I was like probably midway through high school. I was obsessed with it. I sort of begged my way into an internship when I was a senior in high school. And everybody was so jealous because all these girls who never talked to me were like, you're working at Sassy. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Damn. And it was just such a cool place to be. I mean, they, and that was actually my first experience seeing editors and writers at mm-hmm. work. So it was a cool place to be, but it was also a little bit more because I really got exposed to something that I had never, I got to see the sort of behind the scenes of how this magazine got put together. And I think in a way it was really helpful to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't just, oh, I get to work here every day. It's so cool. Um <laughs> I mean, it was, but, you know, um, I got exposed to a lot of music that I was already kind of creeping into, but I got to hear more of it um, mm-hmm. and things like that. So I, I kind of, <laughs> things like the Listen to Sassy podcast and Rewind Sassy and things like that, I'm obsessed with that. <laughs> I just had to Google it, y'all, because I was like, what is Sassy Magazine? And I'm seeing Claire Danes on the December 1995 cover. I loved her. <laughs> oh, my God. Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love. Okay, this was the thing. Where was I? Oh, I was like really young in 95. That's yeah, it was <laughs> famous. I was sad. I think I was already in college, so I wasn't interning there anymore. But oh, my God, that cover was so went down in history and it was totally on my wall (laughs) no I was in college it It was on my wall (laughs) (laughs) now I'm gonna be like taking a deep dive on eBay what sassy magazine (laughs) copies are out there for sale (laughs) right they go for a lot of money Mm -hmm. they are like hundreds and hundreds of dollars and I'm telling you like my mom got rid of my entire collection without telling me. And I was like, why um, did you do this? I could have bought a car. Like, yeah. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Name one classic rock album you'll never stop listening to. Ooh. Okay. Well, here's a question to answer with a question. How are we defining classic rock? Classic like, to you. The classic, classic to me. you. Oh my mm-hmm. God, that makes it harder. So I have to... I have to go like two ways on this. I mean, it's either Revolver by the Beatles Mm -hmm. or London Calling by the Clash. Nice. Okay. Yeah. And I could probably could have slipped in like three more, but I I will control myself. (laughs) (laughs) Look, this is your show. Like we tell everybody, this is Mm -hmm. your show. We're just asking questions. So if you want (laughs) to add three more, feel free. When I hear the term classic rock. I I grew up in the classic rock era where classic meant like 60s, maybe 70s. And now when people talk about classic rock, they're playing like you two on the classic rock channel. And I'm like, that's not right. That's that's music from childhood. You have to stop. (laughs) Who knew I grew up during the classic rock era? (laughs) 
exactly. Okay, we have heard your name like a multiple times here on the podcast as a wonderful <laughs> editor for Harlequin Special Edition line. And from what we could find online, you also acquire for lines such as um, Romantic Suspense. Do you work mm-hmm. with them as well? Okay, so tell us, we always want to hear people's romance origin story. So take us back to the beginning. How did you become a romance reader? How did I become a romance reader? It's It's kind of funny because... I never thought of myself as reading romance per se. Like, I don't remember reading going after the genre, so to speak, when I was a kid. Like, I think I sort of did the gateway Sweet Valley Highs Mm -hmm. and all of those, which I like the the OG Sweet Valley Highs because they were coming out for, they were first being published when I was, you know, seventh and eighth grade, etc. Like, I remember my mother saying, I don't want you to read these books and taking them away from me. So of course, I just followed <laughs> them with my friends. Um, you know, I was like a little bit too old for the first Babysitter's Club's book and the Sweet Valley Twins. Like my sister was reading those. So every now and then I would say, oh, this looks interesting. What's that? And I would just sort of skim it to see what they were doing with the sort of younger generation, um, mm-hmm. call it an call it an early interest in like the the layering concept in publishing, if you want. Um, but you know, of course, I used to borrow books from you know my mother's bookshelf, and you know she had every once in a while there would be a Judith Kranz book or there would be a Danielle Steele book. She did she didn't have a lot, but she had a couple here and there. And then every summer we used to visit my cousin in California, and she had um, a neighbor with a daughter who was a couple of years older than me, she got me very hooked on Danielle Steele. She was like, you must read Thirsty House. <laughs> <laughs> Best book ever. And I think that's what got me hooked because that book was so epic that it just like could not put it down. And I think I just went through every existing Danielle Steele book after that. Um, and I think, but what's interesting is that when I was going through my interview process at Harlequin and they were like, what's the greatest romance you ever read? And my answer, which I would probably still give to this day, was Marjorie Morningstar by Herman Woke. And they all looked at me like I had grown another head. <laughs> it's, not, it's not really um, romance. It's, it is, but it isn't. It's the story of this girl growing up in post-war New York who wants to be an actress. And then she falls for the wrong guy and it sort of changes the course of her life, not necessarily for better, but she has... She has a happy ending, but it's not the happy ending she thought. Mm-hmm. That it's it's the happy ending she was trying to escape by becoming an actress, and then she ends up right where she thought she wouldn't want to end up. Um, and it's a gorgeous story um, with a horrible movie. Don't watch a movie. Um, okay, I was going to say I just googled it and I see like Natalie Woods in the movie. Oh God, don't don't <laughs> don't watch a movie. It's, it's <laughs> awful. I mean, it's. Natalie Wood is gorgeous. Gene Kelly is so handsome, but it is the worst use of these two actors I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> it's so bad, but it's an amazing book. Like my co- my husband bought me another copy because my copy literally has like everywhere, any page you open to, the pages are like flying out. Um, it's amazing. And it's, I guess you could say it's an epic love story that doesn't end happily in the traditional sense. Okay. okay. They all looked at me like, why that book? And yeah. I just thought, well, but it, there's a love, st- it is a love story. Why can't I pick that book? They were like, no, oh, you can pick whatever story you want. <laughs> 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 so 
that that's probably the book that always stays with me because it mm-hmm. fascinates me. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, you know, um, and so I don't think I ever specifically looked for romance. I think I just looked for reads that held my interest. But if there was a love story in it that worked and that made that fit the story, great. Um, And so when I started working in Harlequin at first, it was a little bit like, oh, this is the only thing we do. But the authors I was working with were such great storytellers that, you know, what difference does it make if you could tell a great story? And it happens to be a love story, then it was fine for me. Mm -hmm. So we read online that prior to Harlequin, you were working in film development in New York. Can you share with us what your journey to working with Harlequin was like? That's an interesting story. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I, I was working for a division of Sony and I'd been there for a couple of years and you know, it was kind of time to move on, but the industry in New York had kind of taken a big leap in a lot of these, even a lot of the indie companies were moving to Los Angeles, which was not good for those of us who were still in New York who didn't want to move to Los Angeles. Like a lot of people, like HBO used to have most of their development based in New York. And right around that time, they moved everything to Los Angeles. And it was really depressing for a lot of people. Um, Like Miramax was still in New York, but someone actually stopped me from getting a job there. And I, now we all know why. So (laughs) um, I took a corporate marketing job just to sort of change my situation. And it wasn't a bad situation. I just needed a change. And that was like the worst job ever. It was horrible. I was miserable every day. I didn't save a penny because... I like all I did was buy shoes and it was just like the worst job. And I started applying for publishing jobs. I figured, you know, maybe my skills from my film job were transferable. And I was applying for a lot of like assistant editor jobs. And I had a couple of interviews and they were okay. And then I see this job available at Harlequin and I applied for it and I kept applying for it because it kept going away and then coming back and going away and then coming back. And I got to a point where I thought I I need to quit my job. I'm so miserable. And my husband said, apply for it one more time and then we'll figure it out. And that's when I got the call that they wanted me to come in for an interview. Oh my gosh. Okay. It's like right when I was kind of at the point of, oh my God, I have to get out of here or I'm really going to lose my mind. (laughs) Because it was just a horrible, depressing situation. And I had the HR interview. I interviewed with Leslie Wenger because um, the job was working on her t- inti- team for intimate moments. Um, and I think she liked that I had this more sort of mainstream background because intimate moments was a slightly more mainstream focused series. It had a sort of broader scope at the time. Um And so I just think it worked. It was a good pairing. Um, And yeah, so that's how I got the job there. Okay. So we have some very nerdy questions to ask you as an editor. (laughs) So one thing that I think is just so inspiring, like when you get on Write for Harlequin and there's all all the editors are listed, I think you have this assumption as a reader that everybody comes from like this lit major background or whatever, but that's Mm -hmm. not really the case. So the first thing that we wanted to ask was like, how do you walk into a job as an editor and learn how to edit a book? 
Mm-hmm. That's a tough question to answer because I, I can only speak for myself mm-hmm. and I honestly learned it on the job. Okay. I, like, I was and still am a voracious reader. I mean, my my parents used to tell stories of she won't go anywhere without a book in her hand. Like she'll, you know, like she'll like I would walk around the house as a kid with a book in my hand. Like I was lucky that I didn't fall down the stairs, you know. Like I I never went anywhere. I was that kid who could read in the back seat of the car. Mm-hmm. And, until I hit like my teens and then forget it, roll down the window. But um, I I never stopped reading and I read everything, fiction, nonfiction, like it didn't matter what it was. Um, So there are, I think there are basic elements that you can pick up from having that experience of being a reader with an appetite for everything that is put in front of you. And some of it is instinct. I'm not going to say that, oh, having the having the sort of background of study behind it is not helpful. I actually took two manuscript editing courses within my first couple of years at Harlequin because I was so nervous about not knowing what I was doing. And even though I did know what I was doing, this act, it actually helped sort of hone my eye a little better. Okay. Because what I had been doing in film was working with development and acquisitions. And the acquisitions part was really important because my boss there used to say, it's great if the script is good or if the manuscript is good that we were reviewing, but we need to think of it in terms of, is this going to have appeal for the audience that we want to pitch it for? Because if it doesn't, it doesn't matter how good it is. It's not going to work for us, you know, for the studio. And that was a really important lesson to come into Harlequin with as an editor, because we have an audience and obviously we would love even more readers. So we have to think of, you know, what is this book about? You know, what is the author trying to tell this? How How is he or she trying to tell this story? Um, is it going to appeal who's the audience? Is it going to reach our audience? Is it appropriate for our audience? And so on. So I kind of already had that somewhere. Yeah. Um, but it was like, I was so nervous about the mechanics of editing, the, the technical details that I remember asking, hey, could I take this class? And, you know, and and is, would it be a good idea? And I, I think it was more to calm me down than anything else. <laughs> But it but it was very helpful because it, it was very technical, but it was it, it it actually I felt coming away from it that I had like a sort of better grasp of things. But okay. it you know, but I don't I think instinct serves you well, but a lot of it is also about communication. Mm-hmm. Okay. Communication communication with um your editors, but really communication with the authors you're working with. You have to be able to remember that the manuscript you're holding in your hand or looking at on your desktop, since we don't hold them in our hand anymore, um, is, you know, it's their baby that they've been working on. You have to approach it with sensitivity. You have to know how to communicate in a way that lets the author know that the two of you are partners, that you want to collaborate with them. You're not telling them what to do. You're just, you're making a suggestion. It has to be a two-way street. It has to be a conversation. Okay. 
And that was always really important to me and still is really important to me. Yeah, I remember when we spoke with author Wendy Warren, who I just loved. We just <laughs> loved her so much. I think after we got done recording with her, Sarah, we we talked like for 30 more minutes, like, oh my yeah. gosh, it was so cool. But she said, she's like, she's like, Susan, they, they, they always call you Susie, but... <laughs> For us, Susan, she told me to make her laugh and cry on the same page. And I'm like, where does that come from? Like, as an Mm -hmm. editor, like, where is that coming from? Experience? Is that knowing your author, like, knowing that she's capable of doing it and just kind of nudging her, like, dig a little bit deeper? And I'm like, wow, Mm -hmm. like, where does that come from? Well, some of it comes from, like, Wendy and I do know each other a long time. Like, we've worked together you know, off and on for a really long time, probably, oh, probably 14 or 15 years now, thereabouts, I I could be off a year or so. But I I know her writing, I know her voice, I know, and I do know what she's capable of. Um, I know that when the manuscript comes to me, I may have to ask her to embellish here or there, I may have to ask her to pull back in a couple of places in order to let other sections shine more. But I trust her to tell that story. And fingers crossed, she trusts me to help her tell the story from the editorial perspective so that we get to the place she wants it to be. Definitely. But in a way that, you know, doesn't doesn't overshadow certain points or doesn't undermine certain points. What excites you about your job? I guess it's probably nerdy to say everything. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to say the meetings because nothing is better than a no meeting day. Uh, (laughs) When I get to to sort of like dive into everything. um, I I mean, hands down, number one, discovering a new voice. Or finding, you know, finding an author for the line. They may not be a new voice, um, but I get to say, I'm so excited this author is going to be publishing with special edition or romantic suspense, whichever line it is, um, because those are, those are the two that I primarily work on at this point. Um, that's my, t- my number one, my number two, and number three, I would say. Um, and I don't think that feeling ever goes away. For any editor, it's it's always really exciting because it's not just about you. It's it's as you go through the editorial process, like that book is going to be in readers' hands at some point. Mm-hmm. So it's it's always and again very nerdy, but it's still exciting to go into you know a bookstore and see those books on the yeah. shelf. Yeah, um, it, it's just I still get a kick out of it, you know, and know that all the work we did on the manuscript, you know, the meetings we had about the cover, the fine tuning we did on the copy, like, and look, there it is. Um, You know, the first time it happened, I really wanted to turn to people and go, hey, look at this. But you know, (laughs) you don't do that, because, you know, that would not be right. (laughs) But I still remember, like, the first time I dragged my husband into a bookstore, and I went, look, 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 all those are mine. He rearranged the entire section. I was like, you can't do that. He was like, yes, I can. (laughs) Watch me. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it excites us to go into the bookstore and see them. So I'm pretty sure like there's just like even more excitement and pride when you're like, 
I worked on this, okay? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's also sometimes, you know, sometimes it can be, pick your word, fun, um, exhilarating, whatever you want to be in a meeting. Maybe you're working on a cover and you're having kind of a hard time brainstorming. The whole team is trying to think of what's going to really convey the mood of the story or what the story is about. And all of a sudden, maybe it's me, maybe it's, you know, the art director, maybe it's our assistant editor, maybe it's Gail Chasen, senior editor. All of a sudden somebody says, you know, what about fill in the blank? And everybody says, oh my God, that's perfect. And then, you know, when you get that, that brainstorm, you know, and, and, and again, it's another kind of collaboration that sort of brainstorming in the, in the meeting. And that's fun too. So you can't do any of this in a vacuum. You know, we all have that image of like the lonely writer writing in their garret and then the editor sits in their little closet and scratches away at the manuscript and like that is not. <laughs> Maybe right now as we're all working from home, but it's really not what it's like. It's, it's, it's a very collaborative Mm-hmm. I know my image has changed because I totally imagined you sitting there with like a glass of wine and a red pen. But then I'm like, well, they don't get them in physical copy anymore. So well, you know, if I could hold my alcohol well enough. Yes. But it's more like, it's like my third cup of coffee by noon and then I cut myself off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about challenges. What are some of the challenges about editing? challenges. Um, I'm not going to say there aren't any because there certainly are. I think, you know, I, it's, it's, that's a tough one. Well, it sounds like if you're maybe stuck on something, that's when the whole, that the team as a whole kind of can come together and figure Mm -hmm. out how to pull out of the rut. It sounds like. Yes. And you know what? I actually think coming up with titles can be very challenging sometimes. Okay. Is that on you as the editor? Is it on the, it's on the team, right? On the team as a whole. I I really love asking my authors, you know, like, give me a list of like, whatever you can. It's, I mean, listen, their name is on the book. I, I'm not that person who's going to say I'm slapping this title on a book and that's it. Because I, I never say I'm doing this and that's it. Like I'm the editor. And so there, like, I, I, I don't think anybody does that, but I, again, speaking for myself, I do not do that. Like, it's your book. It's your name. Let's do it together. I'm like very sort of like, let's hold hands and tiptoe through the tulips. Yeah. Work on it. <laughs> I think it's, it's your voice. It's your, so let's talk about ideas. Let's mm-hmm. talk about what we think the marketable, saleable elements are. And sometimes we're on the same page about that. And sometimes we're not. And sometimes, you know, we have to meet in the middle because I have to then go to marketing and say, this is what I think is going to sell the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they're like, we love this one. And sometimes they're like, we don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is, again, it's it's that if, if they don't see it, okay, it's, it's, you know, maybe we need to rethink it. Or maybe when I say, but here's what, remember, this is what we're doing on the cover. Okay, then it all comes together. Because again, it's no piece of it is in a vacuum. It's all Mm -hmm. together. So Mm -hmm. yeah. And I mean, the fun thing about Harlequins is that you, the title tells you 
what to expect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and I'm always like, how do they sit there and do this every month? Like, I don't know how, like, I, how you wouldn't use, t- like, come up with a title and somebody's like, oh, use it 20 years ago. And you're like, oh, well, let me just rethink it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard. It's like, it's really hard because we want the reader to see what, as you said, like what the story is, but we also don't want to give anything away. Yeah. So we kind of want to, I really don't love this word, but it's probably the best word. Like we want to tantalize you Mm -hmm. and see like, Ooh, what is this? And get, that's, what's going to get somebody to pick it up. Like when I browse in a bookstore, I mean, yes, you see the total package, you see the title, you see the cover, but mm. and sometimes it's the cover art that makes me pick up a book, but it's usually the total package because yeah. you know. So, but if it's got a title that doesn't say anything, I usually walk on by. If it's got a really unique title, yeah, I'm grabbing it. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. so as an editor, can you share how many works in progress are you typically working on at a time? Yeah, probably. I mean, it varies because I'll be working on copy. I'll be working on art. I'll be working on titles and I'll be working on various stages of edits. So if we're counting all of that, um, probably anywhere from like four to seven at a time, maybe. Mm -hmm. But again, different stages demand different things. So not... You know, it's I, I heard like instance pin drop silence and it's not like, no, no, it's not, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you're not reading seven manuscripts at once. Not at yeah. time. And you're working on no. multiple no. months worth, I'm assuming, like something that's coming out in four months and something that might be coming out in eight months. You're exactly. a little lower board, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cool. I also work on the continuities for special okay. editions, I oversee usually two, but for what year are we in? For 2022, I, I'm, it's the first year that we're testing three continuities in one year. So um, it's, it's a lot, it's six more books, um, but it's not necessarily more books than I would have done anyway. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. You know, I'd, I'd probably be doing the same amount of books. Um, they're just structured a bit differently. Um so um, it's it's really no different. It's Monday morning. You wake up to begin your day. You're working on four to seven projects. You have your cup of coffee. You stepped outside, took a breather. You start working for the day. Walk us through your morning. What's the first thing work-wise? Like, do you prioritize? Okay, you know, this is brand new. So let me start here or this is almost done. So let me do this. Like, how do you get started? So typically what I do is I work with a old fashioned handwritten to-do list. Um, and I'm pretty sure without it, I would not be able to function. Um, <laughs> same, I used same. to write one every day because I used <laughs> to be like an overachiever at the beginning of the pandemic. And that does not happen anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, the first thing I do is take a quick look through it and what can I cross off that I finished the week before. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, I will augment it by scribbling one or two high priority things onto um, like a sort of post-it note that goes onto the base of my keyboard. And those are like the top two things that must get done today 
first thing, no matter what. Um, and those two things are usually done before noon, unless something else crops up. So I usually take a quick look at the to-do list. The next thing I do is go through email that came in over the weekend um, and see what came in that maybe has to be added to the list, go onto that augmented list. Um, is there anything that's super high priority that's just like drop everything and get into this now? That's a very rare situation. Um, <clears throat> so normally by the time I go through email, um, oh, and I should say that 90% of the time I work with a focus timer. Um, one of those like Pomodoro yeah. down mm -hmm. 25 minutes and then gives you a five minute break. Usually mm -hmm. midway through the day, this thing is like done and dusted and I no longer use it because I just can't be bothered. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I, I try really hard because I do find that it's the most helpful when I'm working on an edit. Um, it, it, that's really when it helps me focus a lot. Um, and every, you know, it can be handy every now and then I do recommend it. Um, but I think it's, it's the day starts with going through email. If it really is a Monday, I usually have um, a half hour one on one with uh, my senior editor, Gail Chasen, uh, midway through the morning. And it's a weekly one on one. Uh, we've been doing it uh, since we started working from home. So it's a way to kind of catch up. Um, mm -hmm. See what, you, what are what are we working on? Um, is there anything she needs me to take care of um, that came up um, in any of her earlier meetings that morning or anything that we need to take into the team meeting later in the week? And then, um, yeah, and then the rest of the day, I just sort of start the to-do, the overall to-do list anew, get it fresh for the week, and then just move into probably an edit or a copy edit. Um, I might have an author or an agent call um, on board, you know, work on some copy. Uh, I might have an art fact sheet to work on. Those are the memos that we have the authors fill out um, with information about their story, their their characters, um, scene suggestions. Um, and I try to get those polished up so that they're ready for Gail to approve so that we can get ready for our art briefing when uh, it might be later in the week, it might be the next week, but we like to have them ready for the creative team. Um, that's kind of more or less a typical day and you know email periodically throughout the day um i'll take a break at some point um <laughs> and um yeah and there's always music in the background because i can't work without it so. mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> so let's chat special edition for anyone listening who has yet to read a special edition romance how would you describe the line to them how would i describe special edition well we are a contemporary romance line we feature a range of sensuality because we have some authors who are a little bit sexier. We have some who are, you know, low sensuality. Um, we are not as sexy as Desire, just FYI. Um, mm -hmm. We're 60,000 word count series. I just want to put that out there. I've gotten a few 75,000 word mm -hmm. submissions lately. Um, very much over the word. Yeah, very much over. That's a lot to ask someone to revise. It's basically yeah. cutting a lot of your book. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, and uh, we feature characters with real life conflict and a lot of complexity experiencing the emotional twists and turns on their journey to true love, whatever yeah. those twists and turns might be. So 
in the Spotlight on Harlequin special edition video mm -hmm. you did that's on the Write for Harlequin website, one of the tips to catch an editor's eye was making the hero or heroine situation and conflict unique. For anyone listening who may be interested in submitting to special edition, can you share some recent special edition examples that had unique situations and conflict? Like if you had a reference point, what titles would you refer them to? Of course, I can mention a couple. Um, I mean, I would definitely suggest looking at, I'll give you a couple of specific examples and I'll just mention a couple of additional books to take a look at. Um, so one book that will be out, I believe in February, is um, The Shoe Diaries by Darby Gahan. We are so excited for that one. <laughs> And the cover is gorgeous, and the book is really, really good. So the heroine, uh, her best friend is dying, and she has kind of always told the heroine that, you know, she doesn't take enough chances, she doesn't take enough risks. So the situation that she's now in, it sort of jolts the heroine to realize that maybe she does need to take more risks. And so she creates what she calls a quote-unquote risk list. And because she's so in love with shoes, she decides to reward herself with a new pair of shoes every time she completes an item on the list. But when her friend suggests that she also reach out to her ex-boyfriend from college as an item on the list, she says, nope, he's in my past. He never loved me anyway. I'm not doing this. I think we can guess where things go from there. <laughs> it's a very, she tells the story in a very different way. Um, it's, it's a little atypical for us in, in the telling of it, in the structure of the book. And, but at the same time, it's so special edition and I would encourage readers to pick it up because it, it, it really, it's, it's Gail is working with this author, but she was so excited about it. And when I read the manuscript, I, I really just felt it in my gut. <laughs> it was yeah. really, I think it's incredibly relatable um, the way she tells the stories of the friendships of the women elevating each other, um, you know, and it's a conflict that I think this idea that we all have things we're afraid to do, or yeah. we're afraid to step out of our comfort zone. And what is it that makes us do that? Mm -hmm. And what happens when we do? maybe there's something really great waiting for us, you know? And so I think that's a great example. Um, that will be available for sale soon. And actually in the same month, um, The Marines Reluctant Return by Sabrina York. Sorry, my computer is like beeping for some reason. <laughs> um, so this is the third book in Sabrina's Sterling Ranch series. And it's a really touching story. The hero is a, he's come home from the service. He's injured. He's run away to the service really because um, he was in love with his best friend's wife. The best friend died overseas and he feels responsible for the fact that now she's a widow and his son does not have a father. Um, when he comes home, he kind of tries to sit, keep his distance from them, but it's a small town. There's not a lot of places to hide. And <laughs> When he finds out that the boy is having learning issues in school, the hero is dyslexic and the, the child is diagnosed as dyslexic and he realizes he needs help and I'm really the only person around here who can help him because I went through the exact same thing he did. And he, in helping her son, he not only 
finds a new role for himself, almost as not just a, not just dad's best friend, but almost as kind of a father figure and a guide to get him through school. But it's, it's almost like he's finding his own redemption and he and the widow, I'm not going to say because I'll give it away, but it does <laughs> have a happy ending. Um, I would also recommend this book is available now. Um, Moonlight Menorahs and Mistletoe by Wendy Warren. Um, you guys talked about it on the podcast. It has a sort of more tragic element in the conflict, but it's so well rendered and beautifully told. And it really did, she really did make me laugh and cry on every page. Um, it's a gorgeous book. And coming out in February, we have The Five-Day Reunion by Mona Schrock. Mona, yeah. Oh. Another yeah. one that is gorgeous. We're so yeah. excited. <laughs> right? And this is a conflict that is just, it's so good. So the hero and heroine used to be married to each other, and they're now divorced, but she shows up at his sister's wedding on the first day of his sister's wedding celebration. And he's like, what are you doing here? His mother asked her to pretend to still be married to him because the mother never told her family about the divorce. Okay. Yeah. That can lead to some mess. There's conflict. There's some conflict right there. (laughs) So they kind of have to, they both like she has her reasons for saying yes. He has his reasons for being horrified, but ultimately for going along with it. And it just chaos ensues from there. Yeah. <laughs> and really, it is it is really a unique story because of the way this conflict plays out and the the, the way the balance of the relationship plays out. And and it's just Again, another one that made me laugh and cry and that there's one character in that book that just had me grinning from ear to ear every time he was on the page. I I loved it. It's really good. Yeah. Awesome. I love when like, because I love marriage of convenience or whatever. And it's like, when you see those really fun, special twists on it, it is so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, her next book, which I actually just started working on, um, we don't, do we have a title yet? I don't think so. We might, but I don't want to reveal it just in case. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the brother of this heroine and this heroine's best friend. And he's always kind of loved her from afar. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, things, things don't necessarily unfold the way everyone expects, but there will be a happy ending. I can assure you. I don't know how things unfold yet. (laughs) But honestly, I, I feel like our authors really try to make their conflict as vivid and full of depth as possible so that the reader just does not want to put that book down. So what advice do you give the writers to encourage that uh, emotional depth in the story? I would really say that to flip that question around slightly, you Mm -hmm. know, if a conflict can be resolved in a conversation, it probably lacks the depth necessary to sustain it and to make the reader engage with it. You know, you falling in love is a learning process as you learn more about yourself in the relationship as you learn how to be in a relationship because that means you have to learn about an about your partner you have to learn who your partner is and how you can be how you can work together to be together so it's not an easy thing and 
how do you fit together with your person in good ways and in bad ways? How do you learn to adapt to each other? So mm -hmm. ideally, as your characters go through that process, we'll see that conflict build and we'll see that conflict resolve. Um, maybe it's a reunion romance and they'll have that baggage that they're bringing back with them that still has to be worked through and and resolved in some way. Um, or maybe they've just met and they're learning new things about each other as the story progresses that shows us as readers that for whatever reason, each character has their own fears and their own concerns about relationship and what it would mean to each of them to be in a relationship. And it's okay to put those characters and the reader to put us through the ringer a little bit, as long as the story develops organically. Mm -hmm. Because I think like the enemy of conflict is contrivance because it just diminishes everything. And if the ultimate resolution makes me glad that I sat up reading until one in the morning to get to the ending, then well done. Yeah. <laughs> because, because that's ultimately what I look for. Like if I fall into it and I, you know, at five o'clock in the afternoon comes and I really don't want to go out for a walk because I have 70 pages left in this book and I need to keep on reading to find out how you ended this story, mm -hmm. you know, doesn't mean I may not have some notes for you, but it does mean that you kept me reading until the end. Um, yes. Or if I decide, you know, I'm done with dinner. I really need to see how this book ends, which I have done a time or few. Um, <laughs> then well done, because if I can't get it out of my head, that's the best book. Yes. Yes. For sure. I mean, in that moment where I'm like, there's like 10 pages left and I can feel myself tearing up. I'm like, you mm -hmm. just wrote the hell out of this book. Because <laughs> I was just laughing five pages ago and now yeah. I'm crying. <laughs> it really is the best feeling. So with romance being your day job, <laughs> that is like one of my favorite um, memoir titles. Shout out to Patience mm -hmm. Bloom. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> tell us, what do you read that's not for work? Like, do you have the time to read these days or, or what? So partly because, you know, I, I mean, I always did, like, especially that's one of the things that I miss about, you know, the before time was having that time on the commute to kind of mm -hmm. pull a book out of my bag. And I mean, I'm, I don't know if either of you have read The Passage by Justin Cronin, but when that book came out, that was like a doorstop of a novel. And like, I would, schlep it to work every day. <laughs> Next. Um, but I just, you know, not having the commute sort of put a dent in my reading for the first two months of the pandemic. And then I just sort of said, okay, enough, too much screen time, you need to start reading again. And um, so I've been doing a lot of reading, some fiction, some nonfiction. So I'm actually about to start How to Marry Keanu Reeves in 90 Days. Yeah, I've got that on my TBR. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I read a, kind of everything. I've been reading romance. I've been reading like some lit fiction. I've been reading some nonfiction. Like, what did I read? I'm finishing um, The Family by Naomi Kropitsky. I think I just butchered her last name, um, which is really good. Um, I'm reading Go Tell the Bees That I Have Gone, of course. Oh. Um, don't tell me anything. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm doing a reread of the whole series before I get to that one. Yeah, I, I had meant to reread the series so that I could sort of get 
my head back into it, but I found that two pages in and I was back into it. So oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm like reading it at night um, mm -hmm. because I just don't, I, if I started reading it during the day, I would never put it down. Um, <laughs> get done. I read, I'm, I'm almost done with crying. You, you'll notice a pattern that I'm like sort of reading six things at the same time, but I have <laughs> every room. Um, I'm reading um, Crying at H Mart, which is devastating because um, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there are things in it that I can relate to all too well. Um, what did I just finish? Um, I just finished a political book that I won't go into because it <laughs> terrified me beyond belief. I read a couple of months ago, I read Damnation Spring. The author's name is escaping me, but that was a really good book. And I didn't think I would like it. For the first 50 pages, I kept thinking, why am I reading this? Why am I reading this? And then mm -hmm. I just went over that little hurdle and I just finished it. In Ash Davidson. Yes. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. I can't recommend it enough. I read The Heart Principle, which I thought was great. And I read this amazing book that I, I like, if I was in a position to talk to strangers at bus stops right now, I'd probably be telling them <laughs> about it nonstop. It's called How Not to Die Alone by Richard Roper. Oh, wow. He's a nonfiction editor from England. And this was his first novel. Oh, wow. I cannot believe he wrote this book. It was just like, talk about making you laugh and cry. It's, oh my God, it's so good. <laughs> so good. Like the humor is really British, mm -hmm. but it's like this guy tells a lie at work. He sort of says very offhandedly like, oh yeah, I have a wife and two kids. And then it comes back to bite him at one point. <laughs> and I not say anything else, but it's very bittersweet and it's very emotional, but it's also very funny. I'll have to look that one up for sure. Oh God, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> you had me at British humor. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's so good. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was hooked on the title. <laughs> Mm -hmm. that's what got me like I thought oh my god this title is so audacious like what yeah. is this book about and then I, I fell for it I, I mean I've just read a lot in the last few I mean of course my to be read list is like 20 mm -hmm. something long but <laughs> so we know from following you online that you collect cookbooks and do a lot of baking what's become a new favorite recipe you've just you've discovered Ooh, um new favorite recipe I made it a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago. Maybe it was last week. Time has no meaning anymore. Yeah, um, it's been yesterday for a while. I, I bought this new, um, I do a lot of gluten-free baking because I have celiac. Um, and so over the last few years, I've been trying to use like less one-to-one -one flour and more real alternative flours because the one-to-one -one is just like not working in certain things. And so I bought this new book that had the best sounding recipe in it. It was like, I love marble cake. Mm -hmm. And this was a, I'm going to get this backwards. It was a chocolate tahini buckwheat flour marble cake. I think I got that right. So the first night I made it, I was going to take it to my cousins for like a little holiday get together the next day. And I couldn't get it out of the pan. And all of a sudden, <laughs> and I was like, this is not how I planned it. And there was like one little goof in the recipe. They didn't tell you to like butter and flour the pan. Oh. And I woke up the next morning and I went, you 
don't. Yeah. <laughs> I feel better than that. Why didn't I listen to my instinct? So the next morning, I like buttered and floured this pan so aggressively that I had like stuff flying all over the kitchen, but it <laughs> right out of the pan like magic. <laughs> oh my gosh. I could probably make that every week. It is so, mm. so good. See, I am so intimidated by baking just for stuff like that. There's all these ingredients. There's all these instructions. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I I can do the cookies that are already like cut out for you. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys. Okay. So I love, like I, I have started buying cookbooks. I love, I consider myself a Pinterest chef. If something looks good on Pinterest, I may try it, but I have mm -hmm. literally almost burned my house down trying to follow <laughs> one of these recipes. It was for a meatloaf. You Okay. It was for a meatloaf. So have you had any cookbook disasters, like stuff that you've tried and you're like, this was disgusting. I'm never trying this again. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I mean, actually I had, when I was, maybe I was like, 14 or 15, I had one that was so good that years later, it won me a cookbook and a recipe in a, in a contest. Oh, wow. Um, I, I had never baked with oil before. And, you know, different oils are, you know, like you're not really, unless the recipe says olive oil, you don't use it because it weighs a ton and mm -hmm. it'll weigh everything down. But I didn't know this. So the <laughs> recipe was like a chocolate cake, whatever, but it didn't use butter. It used Back in, back in the day, they called it salad oil. Like now they probably say like canola oil or yeah. whatever. So I used olive oil because what did I know? And I kept telling my dad on the phone like, oh, daddy, I made a chocolate cake. Blah, blah. It'll be in the fridge when you come home. He comes home and he's like, where's the cake? And he's looking. I said, it's in the fridge. He's like, I don't see anything. I just see a pancake. I'm like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> it, would, it wasn't even an inch. Thick. Wait, oh it was like a frisbee because the oil. My mother was like, "What did you do?" Oh. <laughs> a years later, on I think it was that site, Serious Eats, they were giving away this new baking book, and they're like, "Everybody, enter your your worst baking story, and the five best will win a copy." And my claim to fame was that I was one of the five best <laughs> stories. <laughs> <laughs> so time for some roundout questions. What is one film you will never stop watching? Oh, Xanadu. I can't even call it a guilty pleasure because I think it is genius. And I am <laughs> it's great. Um, but um I I will give Jaws a place on the shelf also because that, nice. that movie is amazing. And it's probably the reason I don't go into the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Okay, besides reading, what was one of your teen girl obsessions? I think that was around that time I started getting into music, like like more new wave music and collecting music. Like aside from the book, like the two things that threatened to spill over in my bedroom were like the book <laughs> collection and the, you know, cassette and CD collection. Mm -hmm. And it was all like, you know, a lot of British new wave and that kind of music. The stuff that's like really popular now. Right. <laughs> right. Like the stuff that I, like my sister said to me once, what would you do for music if the 80s never happened? <laughs> no idea. <laughs> Who was your teenage celebrity crush? I think for a little while it was Johnny Depp because, you know, Time on Jump Street. Mm -hmm. 
And after a while, it was like one guitar player after another. I mean, I think for a little while, it was like Dave gone from Depeche Mode (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, everybody loved him. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it was just like probably a lot of different guitar players from Mm -hmm. different bands. Yeah, I saw Johnny Depp on the Sassy covers, the Sassy magazine cover. And I was like, yes. you know what? Johnny Depp, he may look a little weird now, but he was a yep. fine specimen. Yeah. I am so sure that cover was on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> he was kind of a dream, just saying. Yeah. Uh, what was the last song to get stuck in your head? Oh, um, the last song to get stuck in my head. I think it was Two of Us. Um, the Beatles, because I was watching the documentary. Oh, okay. Disney, and you know they were they were sort of like rehearsing it incessantly. And I do love that song; it's such a good mm-hmm. song. What is one thing you like within arm's reach while working? Probably a tie between my coffee cup and my phone. And the reason I say my phone is because this is a little pathetic. I don't have like an actual like radio or CD player, so the only way I get music is through like. Spotify or or Pandora on my phone so I'm constantly changing what I'm listening to yeah because I'm very fickle about it and also my focus timer is on my phone yeah (laughs) so So teenage you is inside screaming at you like where's your radio exactly exactly. (laughs) (laughs) if you were to begin working on your memoir tomorrow what would the title be oh wow that that's a hard one. Um, probably something like probably something like "Don't Stop the Music" or something like that. Nice, <laughs> love it. Yeah, easy, but <laughs> nice. <laughs> I don't do anything. I don't cook. I don't drive. I don't edit. I don't read for class. I do nothing without music except watch TV. So, mm-hmm. what is one hill you will wholeheartedly die on? Ooh, hmm. What is one hill I will wholeheartedly die on? Oh, I really don't know. That's a tough one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to turn it around on you. What's what what what's the hill you'll die on? <laughs> well, I think for I think it's safe to say the reason that we do this is because we love these books. We believe in these books. They matter. Absolutely. They're important. And the work that you do is important and makes is like mm-hmm. huge and the reason that it, it happens in the first place. So yeah, I mean, romance matters and there's so much hard work sure. that goes into it. I mean, just from hearing your, hearing your day to day and your experience and it, it really, it really does matter. You may read mm-hmm. a book in three hours, but it's golly, the months and yeah. <laughs> like blood, yeah. sweat and tears it went into it. Literally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think you're hitting on something really important, which is when someone says to me, and I guess this is maybe not the hill, but a hill that I would, you know, if I have three hills in front of me, I am only strong enough to make it to the top of one, maybe two. <laughs> so <laughs> a I will die on. But I've never said no to someone who said to me, this book is really good. You should give it a try. I've never reacted like, oh, really? When someone said, oh, this this is really good because <clears throat> I don't know what I'm missing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I get a response like that, when someone asks me, what do I do? Where do I work? I, I just want to, like my, my internal response is always, well, 
do you know anything about it? Like, have you ever read one of these? What do you know? Because, I mean, depending on where I am, when I get that response, I might actually say that and engage them in conversation about it Mm -hmm. to try and open their view a little bit. But I I don't understand the belittling of the genre. Mm -hmm. And I think I will, I guess the hill that I would die on is there's no reason to disrespect something that you don't understand. Absolutely. And until you've picked up a book and read it for yourself, you shouldn't. We have had a glimpse of a few 2022 special edition releases, but overall, what can we readers expect from the line in the new year? Well, we have a lot coming out. I think readers are going to be really happy. We have new books from Catherine Mann. We have new books from McKenna Lee and Terry Wilson and Bella Bagwell with her Men of the West series. Mm-hmm. We have in January, we have a new Fortunes of Texas continuity starting off. Um, so fans can look out for that. In February, we are starting, I think I mentioned, um, a continuity called Forever, Forever, not Forever, Yours, <laughs> um, which is a sort of animal rescue themed continuity. Yay, yeah. Yeah. So the first book is called Home is Where the Hound Is by Melissa Sennett. And her is so adorable. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh, I need it. I was sold at Hound. Right? (laughs) I want every dog in this continuity. I'm just saying. It's it's (laughs) difficult to edit these books because half the time I'm like, oh my God, this dog is so cute. Why can't it be real? Um, Is that a continuity that you came up with or? We developed it in-house, yeah. Okay, nice. The second one. The first one we did was in, I want to say 2019, and I know I should know it off the top of my head, but it feels like forever ago, (laughs) and it wasn't. (laughs) Um, It's just, you know, we all have a little bit of COVID brain. Um, but yeah, it's a great small town setting, um, an animal rescue, um, lots of characters involved in pet rescue in different ways or fostering pets and how the pets fit into the lives and the romances and things like that. Um, and Brenda Harlan is back in April with uh, her own take on the virgin hero theme with Ooh. a book called Captivated by the Cowgirl. Uh, This is a new installment of her Match Made in Haven series. It's really good. Um, Mm -hmm. Brenda and I have joked that this is her quote unquote Jamie Fraser story. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) There you go, Sarah. There you go. I'm there. I'm there. (laughs) It's not set in Scotland. It is set in the. It is Nevada. But I like. I I perpetually joked with her during the editing that like this is the Jamie Fraser moment. And I will say it's Brenda's fault that I read the entire um, Outlander series. <laughs> really? Spent 14 oh, wow. years telling me that I should try it. And then when I <laughs> when I read it, when the series was premiering, I was like, oh, my God, I just read this series. It's amazing. How come no one told me about it? And she just looked at me and said, I did. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, I mentioned... Um, that in February, um, Mona Shrav, who's um, mm-hmm. one of our HQN authors, will be making her special edition debut with the five-day reunion, which is really getting great advance word, and it's going to be an amazing book. And Darby Bayham's The Shoe Diaries, mm-hmm. um, and she will follow that up later in the year with a book called Bloom Where You're Planted. 
Oh, oh nice. my god! Yeah. I'm excited. I, I'm already imagining the cover. It's got a. It's it's going to be gorgeous. I just know. Yeah, there's <laughs> so much excitement. I mean, I mean, every month there's just going to be more and more and more. So I would encourage readers who love special edition already just keep coming back. Mm-hmm. I would encourage new readers to just try a book. There is something here for everyone. Um, lastly, is there anywhere you are comfortable with readers keeping up with you online? Of course. So you can follow me on Twitter, um, at Susan underscore Littman. And on Instagram, I have a shared editor feed with several other Harlequin editors. And that is at NYC underscore editor underscore life. And, you know, we try to sort of highlight fun places in New York or fun grammar mistakes that we see, Um, (laughs) just general fun things. So come and follow us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. We have been so excited Mm -hmm. and just counting down the days for you to come chat with us. So thank you so much for sharing your time with us and hanging out with us today. Um, I cannot wait for listeners to have the opportunity to listen to this. So <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was really, I, I was so intimidated, but you guys made it so sweet <laughs> and you took away all the fear. <laughs> thank you. Our work here is done. Yeah. <laughs> well, listeners, make sure you check the show notes. We will have the links to where you can keep up with the incredible Susan Littman and course we'll have harlequin listed so that you can check out Mm -hmm. and keep up with what is coming out from special edition if you have not got your hands on those holiday titles go do so (laughs) (laughs) and sarah and i will chat with you all in our next episode have a lovely day everybody bye